If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, for a number of weeks we've been in the greatest sermon ever preached. The sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, begin in verse number 17. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot, a jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore speaks, uh, breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you, that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And we'll pause there. My subject this morning is kingdom expectations. A bit of a review. Uh, we began a few weeks ago with looking at kingdom characteristics as we went through the first 12 verses in the fifth chapter of Matthew. Then last week we looked at our kingdom responsibilities, our kingdom influence and impact as we looked at Jesus saying, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Now, the rest of this message that Jesus preaches is going to be a continuous stream of examples about what the kingdom is really like, what God's kingdom is like, what the kingdom of heaven really can be seen as. Jesus will provide a lot of definition and redefinition on a number of things that the people of that day would have heard, but not perhaps really have understood. You see, he began this section by talking about something that would have probably startled some in that making it clear that there was nothing wrong with the Old Testament law. There was nothing bad about it. There was nothing to be in, in any way that it should be shunned. And he explains that he did not come to destroy it. He came to fulfill it. He came to provide the fulfillment of all the Old Testament law, of all the Old Testament prophecy. He'll go from here to talk about things like murder and adultery and lying and reputation and so on. So many everyday things that we all need to deal with. Yet before diving into that, before making all that commentary, he makes a bold statement in, in, in verse 20. And we need to understand this statement. But first, that requires understanding the religious community of his day. You see, the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious community, they were a very powerful group of people. And it, I guess from their own personal perspectives, it was good they were powerful because power is what they craved. They got into what they were doing simply because they wanted power. But we could also say about the religious community of his day, they were also very oppressive. They focused almost from sunup to sundown, on what you did wrong. Ever have anybody like that in your life? I know none of us have ever been like that. It's always been other people. That 
all they could see in a hundred things that you did right is the one thing you did wrong. They were very oppressive. They were also very exclusive. They had their own little club, their own little group, and people didn't come in. If they did, it was through much, much difficulty. But not only were they powerful and oppressive and exclusive, they just had this trait about them that they were also highly insensitive. They really couldn't see through past their own ways and their own rules to actually look at people and the different things that people would experience each and every day. And it is against this backdrop in, at the end of verse 20 that Jesus says that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and the scribes, it, you're in trouble. That, that was a paraphrase. You will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. I would call that trouble. He used the religious leaders of the day to set the standard, and I'm saying he set the, low, the bar pretty low. That if you didn't do better than this, you were in big trouble. So what was the righteousness of the Pharisees? What were they like? What was their focus? What mattered most to them? Well, first, they would say one thing and do another. They had the idea that their goal was just to be, sit someplace in some lofty tower and make rules. Yet they were by no means obligated to live by any of the rules they made. In following them, you had to listen to their words because by no means would you ever want to listen to their works. Matthew chapter 23, beginning in verse number 1 says, Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers." It's great to encourage somebody to get up every morning at 5 o'clock and pray. Don't do that unless you're the one getting up at 5 a.m. to pray as well. Don't be putting burdens on other people. Even if the burden or the thing you're trying to encourage someone is a good thing, don't be putting things on other people that you say with your words and we don't say with our actions. The Pharisees would place burdens on people's lives. They would have rules about food and drink. They would have rules about the clothes you wear. They would have rules that centered on cultural distinctions. So that when other Jews came from other parts of the world for the common feasts, there would be these rules that they'd have to follow that weren't part of the way they did things. Can I say the only valid model for righteousness, his name is Jesus Christ. It's not where you were raised. It's not how things were brought up. Now, I've been to a number of different places throughout the world. And I've had Holy Communion in many different places. I've had communion like we have it here, with a cup and a wafer. I've had it with a cup and a piece of bread. I've had it with... Berry juice, that was really, really awful. 
and really, really stale crackers. I mean, really, really stale. Because that's all they had. And I've shared that when I was in Honduras, we had berry leaves for the body of Christ and Honduran coffee for the, body of, um, for the blood of Christ. And we only got a little bit of the Honduran coffee, which was a good thing. All it takes is a little bit of Honduran coffee, and you're on fire for Jesus for a long period of time. I was wired for days. But this is not what the gospel is about. This is not what the kingdom of heaven is about. It is not about a cultural distinctive. It is not about food and drink. It is not about having this at this time of year or that at that time of year. It is about something deeper that should include everybody. The gospel should never be this exclusive thing that you have to bind or get some type of cultural distinctive in order to enter into God's presence. The only valid model for righteousness is Jesus. But they would say one thing and do another. Another trait of the religious leadership of that day is that they would do things solely for the purpose of being seen. Matthew 23, now in verse number 5, but all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best places at feasts, the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. And before I comment on that passage, I need to explain what in the world are phylacteries. They're essentially this little box or charm that you would wear on your head. And it had scripture inside of it. And what it was, it, it had, the, um, had the Torah. And it showed, it gave the impression it was an a, a outward visible sign that you had the word of God on your mind at all times. But humankind being what it is, as time went on, these symbols, which by themselves aren't the worst idea in the whole world, they got to be bigger and bigger and more ornate until you had this entire hat box on the front of your head. As time progressed, they got bigger. But bigger than what? Bigger than the next person's. They began to compete with one another to create these visible, gaudy things strapped to their foreheads. They would sit and look for the chief seats. Their position began to get into their heads with this big box in the front of their heads. And they could not be anywhere without being the leader. They could not go anywhere without their title and their position being a part of what everyone recognized and why they were there. Status is not righteousness. Position is not righteousness. Being humble before God, that leads you to the righteousness that God wants in all of our lives. It mattered to them what they were called. They could not just be themselves. They demanded you call them rabbi. 
or they demanded you call them teacher. Now, I remember when I first arrived here over a year ago. I need to give you some Church of God history. It was about 16 years ago that the Church of God changed the designations or the titles that ministers could be called. So before 16 years ago, the highest title I could ascribe to was the uh, title reverend, as far as official. Then pastor became a role. 16 years ago at the General Assembly, and I was there, in the General Council, which is a subdivision of the General Assembly, they voted, and I'm still trying to figure out 16 years later why, to change the titles so that the top title in the Church of God that I could be called was the title Bishop. Let me make something abundantly clear right now. I can't stand being called Bishop. I don't like being called Bishop. What these titles for me do is they create distance, is they create separation. I would much rather be your brother than be your bishop. And when we were voting on this, if you can get an insight into how I voted, and it, it happened, so I lost. What I feared was going to happen started happening. All of these ministers, most of which who I highly esteem and respect, began walking around the council floor calling each other bishop. I went and got lunch. <laughs> I'm not looking for titles. If in our interaction you just kind of become informal with me and you call me Hiram, I promise you I'm not going to get offended. My mother called me Hiram. She called me other things, but that's for a different time. Now, my mother passed away before I became a pastor. But I, I just don't think she ever would have called me pastor. She would have called me Hiram. And if she ever used my full name, that would have meant I was in trouble. But we get into these places where we put so much into titles, it doesn't bother me. Because that's not what relationship is about. Relationship is about something deeper. It's about a connection that people make, and that's not about titles. But the Pharisees and the scribes, they were into titles. So I'm okay with pastor. I'm okay with reverend. Not okay with bishop. And if I ever am able to graduate with a, doctor, a, a doctorate, yes, I will make you call me doctor. <laughs> but I don't know if that will ever happen, so we won't even go there right now. They would say one thing and do another. They would do things simply to be seen by men. They would neglect parts of God's law. Going back to Matthew 23, now verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving to the others undone. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. I would have loved to have been there to see the look on their faces when they, they were told they were swallowing a camel. 
The rules they would put on people were incredible. They had lists of things that you had to follow, lists of things you could do, and lists of things you couldn't do, lists of things you could wear, and lists of things you couldn't wear, lists of people you could be with, and lists of people you couldn't be with. Now, we need to use wisdom here. There are some people you need to avoid. And there are some places you need to not be. But these, while they're important, the more important things is, are we a people centered in justice? Are we a people centered in mercy? Are we a people centered in love? Are we a people who truly demonstrate that we walk by faith, not by sight? They would neglect the weightier matters of the law. The perfect scene for that is them coming before Jesus with the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. Now they brought this woman to her trying to trap Jesus and they say specifically, the law says if one is caught in the act that we bring them to the council. So what do you say? Well, they forgot part of the law. Because the law says it doesn't say bring the one guilty. It says bring both. And since they were caught in the act, you got to be able to say, see that where's the other actor? They weren't doing this because they had a love for the law. They weren't doing it because they had a love for justice. They were doing this because they wanted to trap the master. They would neglect parts of the law. Don't proclaim to me how righteous you are if there's no love in your heart. Don't proclaim to me how good a Christian you are if there's no mercy in the way we deal with people. They had lists, rules, but that was about it. They would say one thing and do another. They would do things to be seen of men. They would neglect parts of God's law. And heaven forbid, they were known to be lovers of money. Now I'm going to camp here for a while. Because I have a real difficult time with what I see in a lot of places passes for ministry. Luke chapter 16 verse 13 says, No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, or money. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, also heard all these things, and they derided him. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Every single one of us, every single Christian is called into the ministry of Jesus. It's not just for people with titles in front of their names. Each Christian has a call upon their life to do something that God wants them to do to influence this world and to bring people to Jesus Christ. It's about being a servant. Ministry is about service. It's not about money. It's not about how much you get. Ministry is a call. It's not a career. 
It's not something you do as long as you have enough time. It's not something you do as long as you have enough money. It's about people. They were focused on certain principles as long as it provided for what they wanted. And they began over time to live quite extravagantly. But they forgot about people. About meeting people's needs. About understanding and trying to heal the hurts people were going through. And about truly being a vehicle by which God could use them to bring comfort to those who are in need. They had many rules. And they would put burdens on people, especially when they were in difficult situations. Recently, somebody questioned, uh, raised a question to me and were asking about the principles of tithing. How much should I tithe? And I explained the whole thing about what the word means in a tenth. And we go from there. And they commented that was a lot of money. And I said, well then what can you give? Well, I want to be true to God's word. Then give from your heart. But isn't there a rule? And I, I stopped them. When we start giving by rules and not by our hearts, we're giving for the wrong reason. Because when we give by rules, come on, human nature, somewhere in the back of our mind, there's this expectation that if I give, God's going to owe me somewhere down the line. Let's make it clear. God owes you and me nothing. They were oppressive. And they were insensitive. People didn't matter. The situations they were going through didn't matter. What their family was experiencing didn't matter. They were exclusive. They had this inner circle that no one could break into. And that circle was often based on cultural distinctives. Now, I'm sure many of you have seen, as I have, different types of church settings. The way we have church here is the way we have church. It's our cultural distinctive. It's very similar to other churches in this area and in this part of the country. But we're all aware that there are churches that do things differently. I remember when we pastored the church in Queens, it was a Jamaican church. It was, in a lot of ways, Jamaican. I remember when I first arrived there, the service began at 11 o'clock in the morning, and they would hand me the mic to preach the message somewhere around 1.30. And so I said, after two Sundays of that, oh no, this has got to change. <laughs> but that was, it wasn't that there was anything wrong with it. It was their cultural distinctive. What would be wrong about looking at it that way is if somehow that's some type of mandate from on high. It's what they chose to do. One of the reasons why they were sad when we left, because I had reduced the time of the service by almost 50%. And yet said they were amazed that they could still get the whole gospel in only an hour and a half. Because it's not about time. 
Now, don't cheat God on time, but don't think because you spend hours before the Lord that somehow you're more spiritual and you're more righteous and you're closer to God than someone who spends less than the amount of time you're spending. It's not about what we can put on one another. This is not a competition. If you're comfortable with the way things are done, fine. But let's not raise what we're comfortable with to the level of scripture and put that on other people. Another thing is the offering. Even when we were having an offering, it was fairly past the, the, the baskets and other churches past the plates and that was it. I've been in churches where the offering was like this contest where they would start, who's got $100 to give? And who's got $50 to give? And I'll tell you, it turned me off right away. What, got, what brought me to a place of challenge in thinking is when I began to see pastors do that who I highly respect and admire. And they would tell me it's just their way. I can tell you it is just not my way. It's not going to be publicly displayed how much anybody gives here. Scripture is not defined by cultural practices. Scripture is not defined by traditions that we've come to honor and embrace. Scripture is not defined by ethnic distinctiveness. And scripture will never be defined by what makes me comfortable. To the contrary, most of scripture that's trying to get me closer to God is what makes me uncomfortable and challenges me to move from my comfort zone and get closer to the master. And scripture is the only measuring stick. Not whether I fall into this group or that group. Because what I've learned is that people are different. There are people out there who are in their 40s and 50s and 60s who were never raised in church. And they need Jesus. And if they come to Jesus, they're not going to have the church background that many of us have. There are people who possibly don't understand the heritage of Pentecost. People who didn't grow up with some of the same guidelines and some of the same outlook and perspective that many of us have. And they shouldn't be shunned or they shouldn't be made to feel uncomfortable simply because their expression of the Bible and their expression of getting closer to God is different because it's from where they are. You want to come to Calvary Church of God? Love Jesus. That's it. You got to love Jesus. Look at the people Jesus hung around with. They were the lowest of society. They were the scorned of that culture. They were the most uneducated and ill-equipped people of that day. Look at the people Jesus didn't hang around with. They were the elite of society. They were the most popular of that day. They were the most educated. Now, I'm all for education. I'm all for being known that you might be an influence for Jesus. But if the reason why you want to be popular is so that people know you, there's a problem. Because we want people to not know us, like the scripture we read last week, that God may see our good works and glorify him who's in heaven. Other people see our good, 
our good works. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, if he were talking today, sadly, I think Jesus would say, unless your righteousness exceeds many pastors, many church leaders, because righteousness isn't about what we do. Now, righteousness will guide our actions. Righteousness will dictate how we behave. But you're not going to get righteousness just by doing good. So many people I've said, well, you know, I've spoken to have said, well, let me kind of work my way into this. It's not going to work. It's not about works. It's about you and I coming to Jesus and realizing that without him, nothing we ever do will amount to any eternal value. Our righteousness, he calls filthy rags. His righteousness is what matters. And it's against this that he begins the rest of his message. First saying, I'm going to talk about what murder is. Really. I'm going to talk about what lying is, really. I'm going to talk about what adultery is, really. I'm going to talk about reputation and what it should be seen as. But don't be looking to your current leaders in the synagogue. Because unless your righteousness exceeds what they got, and they got nothing, the kingdom of heaven is not a place you're going to want to be in. And I want to be there, church. I want to be there. I want to be in a place where we're all level at the foot of the cross. I want to be in a place where as the songs we can sing, everyone can say, I surrender all. Everyone can sing, this is my desire, simply to honor you. All that I adore is in you, Jesus. It's not in cars. It's not in homes. It's not in bank accounts. It's in the person of Jesus Christ. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. And it doesn't say you won't be comfortable in the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't say you'll have a hard time in the kingdom of heaven. He says you will not enter. You, you, you ain't getting in. So let's, as we go through the rest of this message in the coming weeks, let's remember this backdrop. And in our lives today, Let's be kingdom people who seek the weightier matters, justice, mercy, and faith. Stand with me, please.